0: Well, good morning everybody. We're in the third week of our series God Has a Name based on the book of the same uh, name by John Mark Comer. Highly recommend it. Great book. Let's start with a pop quiz just see if you've been listening. What is God's name? Well we have heard that his name is Yahweh. What is the meaning of that word? Well the meaning is I am what I am which is pretty mysterious, but it, it really sounds like strength and the unchanging nature of God. I am what I am. What scripture are we studying? Well, we're looking at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. You might like to read it with me. Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Here we have the first time in the scriptures where Yahweh is telling his people what he is like. Now, I'm I'm going to be really honest here. My study for this week has taken me to some interesting places in my biblical understanding, and it has challenged some long held beliefs of mine and sometimes made me quite uncomfortable. This is actually a good thing. We need to be challenged. And we're going to be delving into some issues that might keep you up at night. But up front, I want to say this. Yahweh, our God, is in control. This is His world and we are His children. I want to talk about the issue of spiritual darkness. Cue spooky music. Let me start by telling you a story. This is a picture of um, some of us up at, at uh, in PNG, and of course this was a selfie taken by Jacob, always has to get himself into the photograph. But the man on the left is Pastor Kiap, who was our wonderful friend and uh, the leader of the church in PNG. He's come to visit us several times in Melbourne. And, uh, of course, Western... Melbourne culture is a bit of a surprise to him. One of the first times he came to Melbourne, we took him to the top of um, the Eureka Tower and he was looking down over Melbourne and he saw this car park with, that was full of cars. It was actually the car park of the casino. And he said to us, what are all those people doing there? And we said, well, that's a car park for the casino. And he said, what are they doing there? We said, well, a lot of people just go there and they gamble all day. Well, after that, we went down and we actually went to Crown. And we walked into the gaming room. And what we saw were a whole lot of people sitting, almost hypnotised or mesmerised by the machines with this sort of unholy glow of light on their faces. No laughter, no smiles, just this single-minded focus. As we walked around, we sort of lost track of Kiap for a moment and we turned around and we saw he was standing there watching the people with tears running down his eyes. He said, what is wrong? Kiap said... He just saw a whole lot of people that were in bondage to a dark, evil power. It was almost, he felt it was almost like they were chained to those machines. He sensed a malevolent presence in that room. I can never walk into a gaming room without feeling the same thing. Have you ever had that experience? of walking into a place and feeling the presence of something dark, malevolent, evil, where something darkly spiritual is going down and your Western scientific mind is just saying, oh you've seen too many creepy movies but you still have this nagging feeling that you want to leave. I felt that. And I felt the opposite. When I've stepped into a place Often for me it's gateway on a Sunday morning that makes my soul sing because I've experienced an atmosphere of love and grace and joy and celebration and I can only put that down to the presence of God who is love. So I believe in the presence of God which is loving and I also believe in the presence of Satan who is the opposite a spirit of darkness or evil. Just think about what this world would be like. What would be left if we removed goodness and kindness and compassion and love? Now, what does this have to do with our verses from Exodus? Last week, Rick unpacked God's name, Yahweh. Today, we're about to do the next part of the verse. Are you ready? When you look at the verse, the next part after Yahweh is Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, God of compassion. God repeats his name. This is the Hebrew version of of capitalising or bolding something. When God says his name twice, it's his way of saying he wants you to slow down and contemplate his name deeply but here's the question why does god need a name in the first place why not just god and here is a challenging thing to think about because in the biblical world there are many gods He needs a name to distinguish who he is. Wow, that's surprising. Marcy, are you saying there's lots of gods? Now, here's a bit that plays with my former belief. The Old Testament is full of references to other gods, gods with a small g, not God with a capital G. And the authors seem to take their reality Seriously. Now, we're going to nerd out a bit here and cover a lot of scriptures, so I hope you're ready. Do you remember the story of the Israelites getting out of Egypt? Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, so God sent a series of plagues, and every plague corresponded to an important God that the Egyptians worshipped. They worshipped the sun, so our God made it go dark for three days. There was a God of the river. Yahweh made it turn red like blood. And finally, there was a tragic death of the firstborn of all things in Egypt, including the Pharaoh's own son. In the book of Numbers, it says, By doing this, Yahweh showed that he was more powerful than the gods of Egypt. A witness to the events that happened declares later on, uh, this is in Exodus, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods because he did this when the Egyptians treated the Israelites with such contempt. There are heaps of verses like this in the Old Testament. There's in Psalm 86, among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. The very first commandment, In the the Ten Commandments in Exodus, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I must admit that when I've read these verses, I've looked at them through Western scientific eyes. These so-called gods, with small g, are just the imagination of primitive people. But the language doesn't sound like that. We don't have Yahweh saying, don't fall for the stupid ideas that there are other powers in the universe apart from me. The language seems to be saying they exist and they're dangerous and you should not worship them ever. Here's a story that had me thinking. King Solomon, who was the son of King David, had a lot of wives. I'm talking a thousand from all the nations around that worshipped other gods, even though God had told him not to. Now, it says in the scripture, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to Yahweh his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtereth, the goddess of the the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. On the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the detestable god of Moab. He did the same thing for all his foreign wives who burned incest and offered sacrifices to their gods. Now, what do you notice about these gods? They have a name. The authors don't say that they're fake or superstitious. He calls them by name. And they seem to have power and authority over a particular geographic area. Why does God call them detestable? Because the worldview of those religions did not honour Humanity as being in the image of a loving God. The worldview was violent and vicious. And it always had people fighting against one another. It even led to child sacrifice, which was an abomination to Yahweh. Now, the way that this story talks about these gods by name, they made me question my presuppositions about other gods just being a figment of the imagination. Now what about the story of Daniel? Now Daniel was a passionate follower of Yahweh and he is exiled with the Jewish people to Babylon. And while he is in Babylon, he has a vision that there's going to be a great war and he fasts and prays for three weeks, desperate for some answers about what was to come. And then he is visited by an angelic being Now, this is in the 10th chapter of Daniel. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, listen to this. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. What? The angel says... He was three weeks late to visit Daniel because he was held back by the Prince of Persia. Now what we're not talking about a human prince here. This is some sort of spiritual being or power who has authority over that physical area. I'm starting to get a bit creeped here. Let me do a summary of what we know so far. There is only one Creator God, capital G, Yahweh, who made the universe and everything in it. At the beginning of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. No one else, God, Yahweh. He has no equal. But there is also a multiplicity of other wannabe gods, small g. All right, time out. Does this mean that when we hear stories about ancient Greece and their pantheons of gods, you know, Apollo, Zeus, Hercules, Xena the warrior princess, remember that show? I used to love it. When we hear these stories that that we're to believe that they were actual gods, no, I think a lot of this was great human storytelling, but... I also think we shouldn't dismiss the possible reality of a spiritual realm that is more complex than we ever imagined. If the word gods disturbs you, let's look at other words that are used in the scripture. Heavenly beings, sons of God, cherubim and seraphim, angels, demons, princes, lords spiritual forces of evil, powers of this dark world. If I open up my mind to the possibility that they exist, there are so many questions. Where do they come from? Why doesn't Yahweh just get rid of them? Are there levels or hierarchies of spiritual powers? Can we pray them away? What about Satan? We don't know. So many mysteries that are not explained in the Scriptures. But what does come through the Scripture is that we live in a spiritually dense world. These spiritual beings have a measure of free will. They can obey and serve Yahweh or rebel against him. Some are good and help to lead us to God and some are definitely against him and therefore against us. Here's a beautiful story about the good and beautiful spirit world. It's a story in 2 Kings 6 about Elisha, a prophet of God, and he's being hunted down by a king who hates him. And this king sends men and chariots to find him and his servants and and they're going to kill kill them. And it says in the scripture, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Yahweh, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. I love this. But with all of this talk of spiritual powers just in the Old Testament, is it just old stories that perhaps we can, we can ignore because it's an ancient document? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it clear what he thinks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow. That could make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It's what Keap sensed when he walked into that casino. What did Jesus have to say about it? You know, it's amazing that when Jesus starts his ministry, the spirit world seems to go nuts. There is not one mention of an exorcism in the Old Testament, but heaps in the new. Remember the story of Jesus casting demons out of a crazy man who was tied up in the graveyard because everyone was terrified of him? Jesus confronts that evil power. He even asked it what its name is, and it says, Legion, for there are many of us. We see Jesus dealing with a real evil spirit and casting it out. There is an understanding in the Gospels that Jesus came to show these spiritual powers that their time was up and they didn't like it one bit. God, in sending Jesus to earth, was enacting his great cosmic rescue plan. He was coming to show all the wannabe gods who was king. And the amazing thing is that these powers thought they had defeated Yahweh when they nailed Jesus to that cross, but he was just biding his time. In the book of Colossians, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, uh, triumphing over them by the cross i love the message version of this when you were stuck in your old sin dead life you were incapable of responding to god god brought you alive right along with christ think of it all sins forgiven the slate wiped clean that old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to christ's cross he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Woohoo! As I said right at the beginning, Yahweh, He is God and He is in control and He proved that at the resurrection. Even death was not powerful enough to hold Him. We are His children and there is nothing that can separate us from his love that is good news now there is a lot more to this discussion about evil and we're going to keep going with it next week but for the moment can i finish by praying for anyone who is listening who might feel that they are under spiritual oppression there might be something in happening in your life and you have prayed, done all you can, but it's like, it's like it just won't move. I'm gonna pray for you right now. God, with our Western scientific minds, we just, we find it hard to even imagine what the, your spiritual world is like. But the scriptures, they just open up glimpses to to what is happening in the heavenlies. And we know, Lord, that there is a power of evil that does not want humanity to flourish. And I even believe that there is a power of evil that can personally oppress each one of us in ways that, that we don't even understand. So God, for anyone listening now who who feels that sense of spiritual oppression in the authority and the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would lift that off them right now because there is no power, no power on this earth that can stand against you, Lord. You are Yahweh, God of the universe. Free your people. Free your people that we may worship you with all of our heart. We ask this in your precious name.